Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. It's really rewarding to do the work, but it's also amazing to be backed by a bigger organization that shares those values and wants to support the mission. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. I am Mike Veldhuis, business owner of the Dutch IT company Nalta and podcaster from the Netherlands. I just love the Women in Tech podcast by the talented Esprit Devora. It's made with passion and creativity. It gives insight into the world of inspirational women from all around the globe. But most of all, it's fun to listen to. Esprit Devora truly is the girl who gets it done. Welcome to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech from around the world. What's going on, everyone? This is Felice Lizay, and I am a producer, singer-songwriter, and entrepreneur, founder of my content production company, Sweet Spot Studios, and director of community and artist relations at Burbel, a Web3 entertainment studio. I'm guest hosting for my good, good friend, Esprit Devora, and I am so excited to be here with you today, chatting with Aaron Chin. Chief Marketing Officer at Logitech for Creators, a global leader in tech designing products and experiences that connect people to the digital world around them. As a content creator and also musician and audio engineer producer, it's really important to me to have the right tools to create the best content. And I have worked with Logitech in the past on social audio productions. And so it's really exciting to be able to talk with Aaron about all the things that they're building over there at Logitech. So let's get into it. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at Logitech, and then we'll get deeper into the history of Aaron Chin. What is your role at Logitech, and what do you you know, really do day-to-day there? Sure. First off, thank you so much for having me, Felice. It's a pleasure to be here, and I'm really excited to, to talk more with you. I know we, we talk over the years, but this is a fun opportunity, so thank you. So I'm currently working at Logitech as the global head of brand marketing for Logitech G., And uh, Logitech G is a brand that is focused on serving gamers and creators. I joined Logitech in November of 2020 to start and stand up a new brand and marketing organization to serve digital content creators. And, you know, really through several acquisitions of some smaller companies that Logitech had purchased over the years that made tools for creators like Blue Microphones and Streamlabs, plus some new products that we launched, um, new to world products and lighting. 
we provided a, a suite of solutions for content creators who are looking to level up their content and really kind of build their businesses and grow their brands. Uh, a few months ago, we at Logitech made the strategic decision to merge our growing creator business um, with our much larger, much more established gaming business because, you know, we realized there was so much overlap in the consumer targets and we could have more effectively served both gamers and content creators with kind of one cohesive strategy and one kind of comprehensive suite of tools that work seamlessly together. For the past few months, I've been focusing on kind of building out the new Logitech G um, to really serve uh, both gamers and creators. Wow, that's amazing. I'm like sitting here like learning about learning about what's going on with Logitech now as we as we speak. And I'm like, oh, this is exciting. That's really cool. You yourself personally, what kind of led you into this work? You know, and correct me if I'm wrong. I know your background is, you know, marketing and, and that area. But did you always have an interest in tech? Um, did Is that how you kind of got drawn to a company like Logitech? Um, where did this all begin for you? Yeah, I mean, I'd say as a consumer, I've been interested in tech probably, you know, since I was young. I, I really always appreciated how, you know, technology could help solve problems and make things easier. So, you know, I, as a consumer, I always found myself wanting to buy and have those different products and gadgets. But from a career perspective, I would say the interest has been much more recent. So, you know, as you mentioned, my my entire marketing career has really been focused on consumer products um, and actually all specifically in beverages. So I worked in both alcoholic and non-alcoholic beverages uh, for the entirety of my marketing career. My path to tech, I would say, and specifically in the gaming job that I have today, working with gamers and creators, really evolved from my previous role um, on Mountain Dew, which is where I was working right before I started at Logitech. I led the consumer marketing strategy and activation for Mountain Dew and gaming, esports, gaming content creators were all like super important and, and major strategic and activation pillars for the brand. So, you know, I really kind of started immersing myself in that world. And, you know, as a result, um, when the opportunity came for me to head up the creator marketing business at Logitech, it was super exciting for me to you know, build a brand and and help market market products and solve the the you know gear issues that gaming and lifestyle content creators um, were facing, and really kind of setting up the solutions that enable them and empower them to create better. So I'd say you know with just over two years or so of tech marketing under my belt, I'm a tech newbie in terms of um, a marketer, but I'm really really enjoying it. Also, you know, I'd say. You know, another factor is that for me, tech wasn't really on my radar largely because so much of the industry and where where I was seeing the opportunities have historically been, you know, really focused and centered on the West Coast. And I live in New York and I really didn't have any plans to relocate just kind of given my family situation. My husband has a career. It's rooted here in New York. My kids are in school and all of that stuff. So, you know, Geography, I'd say, played a major role in my career decision making historically. But I will say that I think with the pandemic, it drove a lot more flexibility and allowed me to even like break down some of the geographical barriers that previously existed in terms of exploring industries like tech with and seeing multiple opportunities. And so, you know, at Logitech, I am able to work remotely. And I think that, you know, I'm really grateful for the fact that 
you know, things have changed. And I, and I think there are many more opportunities to work in tech that I didn't really have before. That's so true. I think that, um, again, I mean, we we don't talk about the upside of the pandemic enough. No, I'm just kidding. But seriously, it really has helped break down barriers. I think I think people's minds changed and expanded in terms of what it means to work together. Companies that traditionally wouldn't have been open to that realize, oh, we can work maybe even sometimes more efficiently when your work-life balance can be balanced where you don't have to sit in traffic for three hours um, and you could just get to work. You know, I think that that's really, that's really such a great point you brought up. I also thought it was interesting what you just said about how you came to um, the tech world in, ter- in terms of marketing. It came from a brand perspective of brands teaming up with content creators and I'm really fascinated about that relationship and the content creator economy and how it's changing. What are your thoughts on tech in terms of how it relates to the content creator economy? Because that's really, I feel like, where you're at the intersection of. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I love, I've always appreciated how tech, you know, has the opportunity to to make things easier and make things more seamless. And I think that, you know, I mean, speaking personally for the tools that we make and, you know, knowing that, you know, through our, you know, hardware tools, like, you know, the, the cameras and the, and the microphones and the gaming gear, like the headsets and the mice and the keyboards, like they all help creators do ultimately, they remove the friction from the creation process often. And, you know, the fact that we're building tools that seamlessly work together as an ecosystem with, you know, software and hardware that seamlessly connects. And so, you know, creators don't have to hack together solutions and they can focus on being creative and being productive with their time, with their creativity, not necessarily figuring out how to make the tech work. You know, that's super interesting. And then even things like AI, everybody's talking about, you know, chat GPT and all of these AI platforms, like you can almost do anything with them. And so I think just as we see those things progress, we'll see um, tools that, you know, use those technologies and really allow creators to be able to do what they do best. And I think it's important because, you know, historically, content was made from a few major studios and millions and millions of people, you know, you know, like just were consumers of that content, but it was all very consolidated. And now content is so democratized. You have millions and millions of creators who are really driving the lion's share of the views, um, the content views. And so, you know, as many of these creators get started, they are media companies essentially of one or a very few when they're able to start building teams. So, you know, as much um, as technology can help empower them to remove the friction, like I said before, and let them focus on, you know, ideas and and creating, I think, um, you know, the more content they'll be able to make and they won't, you know, like face some of the issues that exist today, like burnout, because they're trying to do everything as essentially a media company of one. 
That's so true. I literally feel that myself as a content creator and an owner of a company myself, like that's literally what's happening to me. So I can completely relate to this um, personally. This is so cool. And I think that something else that really comes to my mind and a big reason, not a big reason, but one of the reasons I was really excited to speak with you is because I really think it's important that we as women also are able to show other women and especially women of, of color that there are women of power in these positions that are women of color. So, and I think that that's also related also to the fact that what you're talking about, about the democratization of content creation is also allowing for um, historically groups, groups historically that don't get to become producers of major content and major media, they're getting to do it because the public is deciding that they like it. And so I really want to just kind of get your take on that just from your position and watching. And I think Logitech has been doing a really great job of highlighting BIPOC creators. And I just think that's really beautiful. So how is that kind of like, you know, you're you're there and I, you being a woman of color yourself coming in and kind of helping with that that direction. What is your take on that? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I love that. And, 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 you know, exactly what you said, the audience has so much more power in determining, obviously, what content they watch and, you know, rewarding the, t- the content creators that they want to support through, you know, things like views and follows, but also through tips on, t- on Twitch and, you know, various other platforms that are allowing people um, to compensate directly. You know, it's, it's on that theme of democratization, like, you know, before in order as, you know, as we'll use a black woman, you know, show creator as an example, like you had to get a studio to buy into your vision and in many cases fund that vision in order to produce it so that people can see it and then determine whether or not they like it. And now any creator can put any idea into the world and allow consumers to be the judge as to whether or not, you know, more of it gets made um, or how, you know, what the kind of like how it performs, which I I just love that because I feel like it opens up so many more opportunities. And then speaking to, you know, the supporting BIPOC creators, which is something that, you know, I'm so passionate about. And, you know, over the past several years at Logitech, we've, we've launched and supported BIPOC, uh, launched initiatives and supported BIPOC creators. We had a particular initiative called Creators for BIPOC that we've done for the last, you know, three years where we've, you know, spotlighted Black, Indigenous, and people of color in case, you know, just in case people don't know what BIPOC means. You know, people in the creator community, we've donated meaningful amounts of money to support BIPOC organizations and creator organizations that, um, you know, help BIPOC creators. And we've, you know, we've done things like, you know, partnered with a gentleman named Jaquel Knight, who is a choreographer who's been really active in fighting for, you know, um, dance ownership and copywriting dance moves. And we funded and helped and partnered with him to um, allow, you know, dance creators to be able to own and monetize their work. And so, you know, we've been really committed to supporting um, BIPOC creators with our resources, you know, that we have as a brand. And I think, you know, I feel very privileged, honestly, to work for a company whose values so closely mirror mine and allow and celebrate that type of work. 
diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is one of the core tenets of the company as a sustainability, honestly. And those are values that, you know, I really believe in. And, you know, it's not just that they're on like the corporate website, but the company and the leaders are walking the walk. We're living these values. We're making real business decisions that are driven by these values. And we're actively incorporating them into how we make our products, how we market them, and how we build our brands. And so, you know, an initiative like Creators for BIPOC is, you know, it's when what is presented to the leaders at at Logitech, it's welcomed and celebrated with open arms. And, you know, everyone wants to get involved and figure out how we can do the most to support this community because people believe in the work. And, you know, for me, it's really rewarding to do the work, but it's also amazing to be backed by a bigger organization that shares those values and wants to support the mission. Oh, I love to hear that. I love, love to hear that because me personally, even like growing up being Black and Puerto Rican, I didn't see women of color, Black women like yourself in these types of positions as role models. Like it was very rare to see that. And so to now see not only a woman like you in that position, but also working for a company that is backing you as you help the next generation, you know, see that kind of just see that example and know what's possible for them. Like we're going to have so many young black girls that are going to grow up to be black women that are creating things that they never would have created because now they have they just have the space to imagine it, you know. And so for you growing up, what kind of helped you along your path to becoming who you are today? And I I told you we're going to get deeper into your (laughs) into your history, like because I think that that's so important because your story um, is something that can really help another black girl. Latino girl, someone of color who may not be in the in a position where maybe directly they have those roles, role models yet. And you just hearing how you kind of got to this place, what what inspired you? What what kind of like, you know, feel free. I kind of want to just give you space to just kind of share what your story is and, you know, how it led to you getting into the marketing field, which has led you now into the tech field. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that my you know, biggest source of inspiration and, um, you know, support, honestly, came from my parents growing up. I mean, I think my parents are incredible people and, you know, they really role modeled for me and inspired for me how I wanted to live my life and in my career journey. So like, as an example, you know, my mom, I saw how she, you know, went back to school to get her master's degree when she was in her 30s. I was, I don't know, probably like in in, in middle school. And, you know, she had been she had been home for eight years um, as a stay-at-home mom to four kids, went back to school to get her master's degree in social work. And she went on to have, you know, a very successful career as a social worker in the Minneapolis public schools. So just seeing kind of like the work ethic that it took to do that and the decision to invest that time and energy in herself and in her career at that stage of her life with the family commitments that she had was like super inspiring. And then my dad, he, um, you know, he had to drop out of school when he was in sixth grade to care for his younger siblings because um, he tragically lost both parents in a racial hate crime in, you know, Jim Crow era Mississippi. He was able to get his GED later and he went on to become a you know a successful business owner and hairstylist. Just seeing that example for, you know, like that anything is possible if you set your mind to it and you work really hard to achieve it. 
um, you know, not without challenges, of course, but I could see um, and I was inspired at a really young age what it was like to overcome odds and and succeed. So I think that it started there. And then I think in my career over time, I've had some incredible managers as well. And, and honestly, you know, people who've advocated for me when needed, you know, connected me with sponsors in the organization to really help ensure that the right people were invested in my success and, you know, given me guidance that I needed to help navigate my career and, build the right toolkits um, in, in terms of my skill set. So I feel very fortunate in that way. In terms of marketing, it's a little bit of a funny story how I become became inspired by and enamored with the idea of working in marketing. It was from a movie, honestly. <laughs> when I was in just about to start high school, Boomerang, the movie came out, and I just thought it was so, like, I was so moved by the moment, honestly, um, <laughs> it when Robin Gibbons' character, you know, was on the elevator with Eddie Murphy, and she was like, I'm in charge of the marketing. And I was like, whoa, you know, she's pretty badass. That's cool. And then when I saw what they were doing, it just looked like a ton of fun. It felt, looked like it was more work than it was fun. It was this, you know, like understanding the business and setting the strategy and being super creative and making all these ads. And I was like, oh, wow, like that looks really fun. Like it, it seemed like it was a really good mix of, you know, kind of like my left and right brain that, you know, is like the, the place where I live, a little bit creative, a little bit analytical and strategic. And so um, for me, uh, I was kind of, um, my interest was peaked, I would say, but I had a, a winding path. I didn't immediately work in marketing. In fact, I was a finance major in college. I went to Hampton University and and I chose finance, honestly, because I thought it would really give me a good, strong business foundation. You know, I ultimately went on to work in investment banking, actually, out of college. That's a whole nother story. But basically, I was inspired to go work at Goldman Sachs because, um, you know, my economics teacher had, had mentioned that Goldman Sachs was on campus for recruiting and that only the best of the best, um, you know, people get to work there. And so I was like, oh, wow, challenge accepted, like game on. That is where what I'm going to do. So I did that working in the media and entertainment um, aspect of investment banking. And then from there, um, it was like a two-year analyst program, and I did that, enjoyed it, and decided that I wanted to kind of delve deeper into media. So I worked at, um, I went to MTV Networks and did an international strategy and business development job for a few years, which was awesome because I was in my early 20s. I was traveling all around the world, doing, you know, fun projects like launching a VH1 channel in Mexico or, you know, um, doing a, a strategy study on how to how to develop a kid's, the, what the right kids business um, for Nickelodeon is in Europe. And so it was really super fun. But then I decided to go and get my MBA. Um, and I was fortunate enough to get accepted into Harvard Business School, which was my first choice. And that's where I really focused um, and honed in on marketing and decided that that was going to be my career. Something that I always find when people in general just tell their story, it's always, it's most likely not a straight line. So there's so many winding paths that get you to the final 
destination. And I think the important things about this podcast is just to inspire other women um, who might be at the beginning of that journey to keep on going and like, you know, trust the process. (laughs) So what kind of challenges arose as you were going through this process you know, because that's a that's a big change from like, fi- well, maybe it's not you maybe you I'm speaking out of turn on there, but it seems like it's a big change to go from finance to marketing, but maybe it didn't like, but were there people that helped you along like certain mentors that helped you along the way for that transition um, to kind of help guide you? Because I know sometimes, you know, when you're making changes like that, you can you can have to take a moment and go, is this the right step here? Because if I go this step, it's going to take me way off onto another another direction that is not the same direction that I started with. So any of those kind of thoughts going through your mind? And did, did somebody in particular like help you with that? It's interesting. While I talked about the boomerang story and said I was interested in marketing, I, you know, I ultimately didn't know that I would end up in marketing. And so I think every step I took in my career was about a couple of things. One is just, you know, whether it felt right and it felt like it was feeding my spirit. It felt like I was, you know, growing my skill set. And, and a lot of these, a lot of these decisions that I made were not, were, were ones, you know, I felt like it was important that I enjoyed my job. I felt like I had worked really hard up until every, every point so that I didn't, I didn't feel like I should have to settle and take a job where I didn't feel like I was going to be learning or growing my skill set or developing or actually even enjoying my work. So I think that was a really important factor and decision making factor as I as I went through it. Another important factor was, you know, what other opportunities did I think that that was going to open up for me because I wasn't someone who had my path completely mapped out. I always tried to maximize the amount of opportunities that I would have after. So making good choices that, you know, if I took like, you know, going into investment banking was was purely because I thought it was going to set me up with a lot of different opportunities. And, and so I was building, you know, a toolbox of skills and, and experiences that were going to serve me, even not knowing what exactly that next step was going to be. So broadening my experiences. In terms of people, you know, I had a set of sound of people that were have always been my sounding board. You know, I, you know, I'm close with my parents and I discuss a lot of things with them. You know, as I de- developed my relationship with my now husband, he's always been a sounding board and uh you know, uh, a person that I've looked to for guidance. He, you know, he went to business school before I did. So he helped me navigate that process and think about how I wanted to approach that. Um, you know, he is also, you know, a business person and just super smart. And so I feel like I get a lot of good advice for him. And then I've also had managers and mentors at various companies that I've worked for. You know, I've always felt comfortable going to and and asking for advice, for guidance, asking them how they would think about it, you know, specifically the question around what the optionality would be or what type of opportunities that particular, you know, um, role might open up for me and getting people's perspectives. Um, Just people who had kind of been there, done that and, you know, had, had more time to and perspective in their careers to really kind of give me a well rounded you know, viewpoint and and perspective. Wow, that's really, that's really wonderful. The ecosystem of people 
it really does take, you know, it takes a village to to get anywhere in this world, I think. And so it's really cool. I think that's that even if someone doesn't have the that in their immediate family, that's what you should definitely seek out what in your community you can find in a variety of places. There's a couple of things that I wanted to touch on that you brought up. I'm glad you brought Boomerang back up because that's just that perfect example of how representation matters. It really does. Like, it's not a cliche to say that. It's so important. Like right now, you even being on this podcast is so important because it's just uh, like I I tear up still when I see things that I didn't see, like the Little Mermaid. I I literally cried (laughs) just seeing like I know that's not a a woman in a in a in a power position, but she was she is powerful. That's Little Mermaid. But just seeing that it just gives the next generation the idea that, oh, I can do that. And that happened to you personally. What kind of things, like, I know you're doing that in Logitech with the creators for BIPOC. Is that kind of like when you're planning things in terms of with um, Logitech, are you keeping that in mind in the campaigns that you all are planning and things like that um, to kind of like, you know, how you're going to influence these future generations of creators? Absolutely. I mean, to your point, representation matters. And, you know, as a, as a leader, I, you know, definitely advocate for the entire team to be thinking about representation. It's not only the BIPOC people or the women or the disabled people that need to be thinking about representation. The entire team needs to embrace it as a goal. And and again, like one of the things that's amazing about Logitech is I think it runs through the culture. So people are naturally thinking about that. And, you know, which means that, um, you know, more and more of it will happen. So when we think about which creators we want to partner with, for instance, like I feel fortunate that I don't have to look at, you know, a proposal from the team and say like, where's the diversity? Because they've already thought about that. And so I think just building that into the culture and making it everyone's responsibility is so, so important. The change is really that you're not having to fight for it. It's now being embraced and everybody realizes for them. I mean, there's still work to be done, but people are realizing it more and more that it has to happen. And just hearing about your father, I, I could relate because my father came from, you know, um, the segregated South as well. And so, you know, it's like, man, that was only one generation ago. And a lot of people may not realize that when they're far, when they're far removed from it. I kind of had a similar experience where my father ingrained a lot of things in me as well. So growing up, did you often have like lots of conversations with him about his past or was he more focused on like just kind of ingraining in you what he did to move forward like what are some what's some advice and wisdom that he gave you and your mother as well I'm not saying not your mother but um both like what it, what kind of wisdom did do you think like were they really focused on ingraining in you to overcome obstacles that you may have faced as a black woman at that time in the early maybe the early stages of your career or even as a kid you know Yeah. So, I mean, I was very fortunate because my dad, you know, I mentioned he's a hairstyle as a hairdresser. And so I, every Monday morning, because my dad did not work on Mondays, I had the opportunity for, to have some wonderful bonding time with my dad. He would do my hair every Monday morning before school. So we had like a good hour together for us just to talk every week. I mean, we talked all, you know, all the time, but that was just like our sacred time. And so, you know, we talked a lot about everything. Like, I mean, my dad has been just through so much in life and, you know, some of it is, was like direct 
advice that he would give me. And some of it was me just being in awe of like the things and challenges he overcame in his life and how, you know, he was, he's just, uh, you know, been so, you know, successful as a human, I will say, not necessarily, you know, about like, you know, financial success or any of those things, but just, you know, having a really happy life. My dad also is like literally the coolest person. <laughs> all my husband and my, and all his friends, my husband's friends are obsessed with my dad. Like he comes every year for Thanksgiving and everybody wants to hang out with my dad. He's just that kind of person. But anyways, to answer your question, you know, I think one of the things that I've learned from, you know, watching and listening to my parents and also through my own experience, candidly, is just how important self-advocacy is. And, you know, it's, you know, it's something that I've learned and gotten better with over time. I think, you know, early on in my career, you know, I've, I'll say I've matured into my self-advocacy journey, even with all of the advice. It's something that, you know, I think definitely developed over time, but I've realized how important it is and learned really how to do it. And I think, you know, for so many people and, you know, and at least in my experience, especially women of color, you know, you know, we deal with imposter syndrome and, you know, we wonder like, do we, are, do we deserve to be where we are? Do we deserve to be in the room? You know, do our qualifications measure up? And, you know, I like I experienced this a lot. I'll, you know, I mentioned that I worked at Goldman Sachs and, you know, it was it was a prestigious environment. And I looked around. So I, I graduated from Hampton University, which is a historically black college. I was the first student from Hampton University to be hired into the investment banking division at Goldman Sachs. So they had other people working in other areas of the bank, but never in the investment banking division, which was kind of considered like one of the more prestigious divisions. And I looked around at all of, you know, my analyst class, you know, my peers, and they all came from Ivy League schools. They came from Penn and Harvard and, you know, and I came from Hampton University. And usually when I mentioned what school I came from, people would be like, what? Where is that? Never heard of it. And so, you know, I often found myself wondering, like, did I, did I belong in those rooms? But I really, you know, I'd say over time learned how to really flip the narrative and rather than wondering if I belonged in those rooms, start showing people and telling people, everyone, why I belonged in those rooms through my work and through my the product that I put out, my work product, and through my leadership skills. And, you know, I found that it, it's super empowering to be able to ask for what I need, you know, whether it's, you know, pay or flexibility in, you know, in terms of my family obligations or, you know, being able to work from home before everyone was doing it. I remember I negotiated like um, a couple jobs ago. I, you know, I negotiated for days working from home when it was like a strict in-office policy. And this is like well before the pandemic when everyone was doing it. But that's what I felt like I needed to be my best self and show up and deliver the best for, you know, the company and, you know, asking for the right budget, you know, to be able to deliver on your objectives or the right people resources or team, or even just asking to own a project or initiative because you know you can do it. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, the worst thing that can happen is someone can tell you no. And then, you know, you, 
and then you you do with it with that information. But if you don't ask for it, you're never gonna get it like by default. And so I think that's something that I learned pretty um, you know over time. Wow. I can, I mean, because this is a podcast, I am over here breaking my neck, nodding as you speak. <laughs> that is such a huge thing. Self-advocacy, closed mouths don't get fed, you know? And so I love that you're, you're talking about that because just to hear, just to hear you say it from where you are, that it, ha- that it's happened to you is so empowering for anyone starting off. It's empowering for me, you know, I, I, that's one of the biggest challenges that I've, that I've had that I'm starting to step into now is that I belong, I belong in this room. Like, (laughs) you know, it's just not even just as a woman of color, but also like as a woman, sometimes, especially in the entertainment industry, being the only woman in the room is, is challenging. So just hearing that is just so, so empowering. You kind of went into some of this already, but you know, is there like one obstacle that you remember facing that really was challenging for you um, that you just would like if there's a story like the, a story that could help like encourage someone else um, listening to this? Is there something that you comes to mind that you kind of had to work through and figure out how to overcome to get to where you are today? If there's one story that you could share, what would what would that be? Yeah, I mean, I think just on the theme of self-advocacy, you know, so my both of my sons were born prematurely. My second son, who's now nine and, you know, completely healthy, but he was born three months early. And so I was, you know, I had just had like this two pound baby and I needed to, you know, figure out how to navigate that. Obviously I was first and foremost, most concerned with his health and well-being, but I also, wanted, you know, I I was thinking like, well, I don't want to spend my entire maternity leave with my baby in the hospital and not being able to bond with him. And so I basically came up with a plan where I would work from the hospital so I could be with my baby and take care of him and feed him and do the things that I needed to do, but also do the conference calls and the everything else that I needed to do. And I did that. So I asked my manager if I could essentially do that for three months so that I was working that entire time while my baby was in the hospital, but working for the hospital so I could care for him. And then starting a delayed maternity leave three months later when my baby was able to come home. And I mean, I think that's what I needed for my for myself, for my baby and my family. And just, you know, having the courage and not feeling guilty about asking for that so that I could take care of you know, our collective needs and knowing that, you know, with that flexibility, I knew I was going to manage my family situation, but also deliver on the work obligations that I needed to do during that time. But it was, it was, I mean, incredibly tough. It was one of the hardest times in, in my life, quite honestly, being able to advocate for myself and my family and what we needed at that time was, was I think what allowed me to get through it. Thank you for sharing that, because that's one of the hardest things I think for women still is just being balancing, being a mother with career. And it's one of those things that men just still don't have the same challenge. And it's it's really not fair, you know, Um, because they're both both sides are parents, you know, but women tend to have that challenge and then also feel that guilt, like you were saying about, you know, um, you know, balancing that work and everything. And you just, that's so inspiring that you just had the courage to 
negotiate that because that makes total sense. You want to be when the baby came, when your son came home, you want to be able to be there now with him at home to do that transition. But you're kind of getting robbed of it. And that's I just I just feel like thank you for sharing that, because I think that somebody's going to hear that and do that for themselves, because I think so many women would have just dealt with it. Because it's kind of what we were kind of taught to do, you know. How did you get that idea? I mean, I know that seems like maybe for you, I don't know. How did you get that idea? Because I feel like for some, for a lot of women, that wouldn't have even come to mind to go, you know what, let me see if I can work from the hospital because the doctors don't need me as much and the baby doesn't need me the same way the baby's going to need me when I'm at home. Let me do this. How did that even come to you to think of that? I don't remember exactly how it came to me, but I wanted to be able to nurse my baby when he was, when he had grown large enough to be able to, when he was first born, he couldn't, he, you know, he had like a feeding tube through his nose. He was that small. So I couldn't, um, I couldn't nurse him, but I wanted to be able to, you know, be in close proximity to be able to nurse him when he was, when he was able to. So that I was just thinking like, gosh, you know, I really want to be here. But I really want to be able to have the time to, you know, bond with him properly when it, when he and I could actually bond and he's not sleeping in like a little, you know, incubator thing. And so I, I don't exactly remember like where, when the light bulb went off or how, but I was just thinking like, okay, if I need, if I need to feed him every three hours, essentially, you know, is there a way I could definitely get work done in between that? And, you know, those are just like short periods of time, every three hour cadence. Um, maybe there is a way where I can make it work. I mean, I think I am a natural problem solver. So I, I, you know, and I sometimes slightly obsess over things until I come with the solution to that problem. So I'm sure I spent many like late nights kind of thinking through all the different options, what might be able to deliver the, you know, a shared outcome, positive outcome for everyone. Um, but I don't remember exactly like how and when I came to that epiphany. Wow. That's just so powerful. Like, I think it's going to be a lot easier for women moving forward with all the allowances for work from home now. Um, and a lot of companies just sticking to that permanently. I just hope like whoever's listening to this, if you are considering motherhood or are a mother and you're a you're a woman in tech and a woman in the world and business. And you, this, I hope they get inspired by it just to come up with other solutions. Like that's such a great, I've never heard that from someone before um, who has juggled being a mother and being an executive. And that's just so inspiring because you, you really can have it all. You should be able to have it all. And that's, thank you for sharing that, um, being open to share that with us, because that's a really powerful um, story. I've just blown away. <laughs> um, so <laughs> as we, as we like, you know, get in, like we've been talking about like your past, where are you, where do you see yourself moving forward? I know obviously you're with Logitech. Um, what kind of like dreams and aspirations do you have for your, for the work that you're doing there and maybe the work that you're doing outside of there? Like, you know, I'm, I'm just curious to know, like where, where, what's next for Aaron? Yeah. I mean, so I'll do super macro first. Like, I mean, my ultimate goal, honestly, is just to live like a happy and purposeful life. Like I want to raise my boys to be conscientious and kind global citizens. I want to leave a positive impact on people. I love marketing and I'm very passionate about it and specifically brand building. So I think I really see that 
myself doing that for the rest of my career. Um, and I, I actually, you know, I also, I'm also, we, we didn't talk about this, but I also have another job, I guess, outside of my day-to-day job. I, I guess I have two jobs, one of them, two other jobs, one of them. And most importantly is, you know, being a mother to my boys and a wife and partner to my husband. But I also, um, I sit on a, the board of a public company, a fashion retail company that primarily targets Gen Z, Gen Alpha consumers. I really love that aspect and that work because, you know, whereas in my day-to-day role in marketing uh, at Logitech, um, I'm, you know, zeroed in on marketing and I love marketing. I'm passionate about marketing, but, you know, in my in my board capacity, I'm really able to zoom way out and um, look at, you know, many other aspects of the business that don't, I don't, I wouldn't say come into contact with day-to-day from a purely marketing perspective. So that's great. I would love to to be on more boards and have the opportunity to work in that capacity with more companies and different types of companies because it's a great, just super educational. I mean, obviously I learn a lot about retail and also the same kind of, you know, young consumer in many ways that we're, you know, I'm targeting from a marketing perspective, but just so many different challenges. Um, so I think that's that's really fun. I'm really enjoying um, my career. I've been at Logitech for a little over two years, and I'm really enjoying it there. I, I love kind of the evolution of where the company is going. I think there's so much opportunity to really continue to build um, the Logitech G brand into this super, like, culturally relevant lifestyle brand to target gamers and creators. I'm excited by that challenge. So, you know, I, I, I see myself here um, for a while to really kind of dig into that and, and, and help, you know, continue to grow this business. Um, you know, the creator economy we talked about a bit and gaming are giant and, and honestly the biggest forms of entertainment out there. So I feel lucky to be working in that space that's growing and relevant and driving culture. So, um, so like I said, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy here. And then, you know, to our earlier conversation about where I ultimately will be, I've never been one to like plan out exactly the roadmap. You know, as I mentioned before, I've kind of taken opportunities as they've come and evaluated them based on, you know, what other doors I think they will open for me. And so I'm sure I will continue to do that, do that as I, you know, kind of progress through my career. And, you know, if I'm super fortunate and lucky and do everything the way that I've planned, you know, I really would love for, you know, to not have to work so intently um, and spend all of my time working until my last days because I really want to, you know, spend time with my husband, especially traveling the world. You know, we've we've traveled a lot and seen a lot, but, I, you know, there's so much more out there to see. And I want to spend time like, you know, where I can spend meaningful amounts of time, like immersing myself into other cultures um, we're both giant foodies and just, and, and even our kids are, are budding foodies and, and would love to, you know, experience, um, you know, a, a, you know, food, um, especially in, in other cultures and just, you know, like enjoy the fruits of the labor and all of, and all of the, the hard, hard work we've been putting in for our whole careers, want to be able to enjoy that and, and really kind of broaden our perspective and see more of the world.
that's the ultimate there. I think that's like the thing to always remember is like to also take that time to to balance work with living and actually just being. So I'm glad you I'm glad you said that. That's so good. That's so cool. I did not know you were working with another company. And I think that's really great that you um, you brought up something that um, that I'm actually starting to discover as well. That's funny that you said that because I literally just started thinking about that um, in some of the work that I'm doing, um, becoming like, you know, on the board for different things where you don't have to be there for the micro, but you can be there for the macro. And um, that's so interesting. I, I, I definitely want to learn more about that as we as I continue to know you um, about that kind of um, relationship with um, different companies and things like that. Um, what is the name of uh, the the company that you're on the board for? It's called Tilly's. Oh, Tilly's. OK, very cool. Very, very cool. Wow. We could have a whole nother conversation just about that. But I won't I, we're, I won't hold you guys for this. <laughs> Hold, hold hold everyone for that. <laughs> I could talk to Aaron for hours. But no, Aaron, this has been so good to just learn so much more about you. Before we wrap things up, I wanted to just do a little quick fire questions with you. So what is your favorite book? Favorite book currently is Becoming by Michelle Obama. Also currently reading The Light We Carry. So who knows which one I'm going to prefer when it's all said and done. But I just, I love her writing. She's such a wonderful storyteller. And I love how you know, at least I personally feel like everyone can connect to her words. Um, they at least resonate super powerfully for me. So big fan. Love it. Love it. I have to, and I love ask this part because then I get inspired to read new books. So I haven't read that book yet. So I'm going to have to, or those books yet. And so I'm going to have to go check them out now. What's your favorite podcast or video series? So for me, I know people like listen to podcasts for all different types of reasons. I primarily listen to them for education and inspiration more than I do for entertainment. And so I think the ones that I've found to be most educational and inspiring are how I built this. And then I also really like the CMO podcast with Jem Stengel, just because I'm a marketing geek and there's some really inspirational and great, great marketing leaders um, telling their stories. Very cool. It's so cool. I love this part because everybody, usually almost everyone has a different answer. So this is so cool. What's your best resource for tech, like tech information? It could be from any resource, a podcast, um, someone you follow on Twitter, anything. Marquez Brownlee. He is just so knowledgeable about his products, wonderful reviews, entertaining. And the his production quality is also really good. I, I follow him across multiple channels, YouTube, Instagram, everything. And I just like, I'm, I'm, big, I'm also a really big fan of his. So cool. I'm going to have to check him out now. And what is your favorite hobby? So cooking. I mentioned before that I am a giant foodie and my husband and I really bonded early in our relationship around the love for eating, but also cooking together. And so I'd say after, you know, almost 20 years that we've been together, we still really, really enjoy cooking. And, you know, it's very much a family affair. Our boys who are 11 and nine are getting in on the action. They're seasoning the steaks. They're, you know, preparing things from scratch, finding recipes, helping to menu plan. And, it's not only fun, but it's also uh, pretty delicious. So it's um, it's one of our favorite pastimes. I feel you on that. Um, cooking is such a unifying 
experience. Me and my partner like doing that together too. And so it's good. And I feel like if somebody's not a foodie, I don't know how people aren't interested in food like that. (laughs) You know, Felice, there's some people who eat to live and I literally live to eat. (laughs) (laughs) I know, you know, like I get it. Like, yeah, obviously you don't want to go crazy, but like, man, how can you not enjoy good food? Even if you eat to live on a regular basis, how can you not enjoy just a couple of like splurges at least per month or something? (laughs) So I'm with you on that. (laughs) What's your favorite thing to cook? Hmm, that is a really good question. It depends on the mood. I mean, we're, we make things that are like, super like you know I'd say basic but with our own delicious twist like I have chicken wings for instance and a roasted broccoli that everyone loves because that you know the way that I season and prepare it um, people just always rave about it so there's like some really kind of you know basic things and then we do things that are more kind of like gourmet we find crazy recipes and you know we make beef wellington and um so i mean my husband's a pretty much like a a pit master at this point he's like super into barbecuing and smoking and you know he'll do um you know a, a smoke a brisket for like 14 hours and i'm making all the i make the best potato salad allegedly um in the world so <laughs> we have a lot of fun with it Oh, I love it. I love it. No, that's that's great. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your story. You've given so much to women in general with this with this conversation. How can the women in tech community support you? What what are some things that you're, you know, your maybe some initiatives and things that you want to turn people to that maybe we could support you with? Oh, that's so interesting. Thank you for asking. Um, you know, I, I'd say our creators for BIPOC initiative is ongoing. We we initially it started with a 10-year, $1 million commitment. We've, you know, extended it and exceeded, you know, the the financial commitment for sure. But just, you know, part of it is as simple as people just spotlighting and highlighting and shouting out their favorite BIPOC creators because, you know, you're a creator, you know, like the more you can build your audience, the more awareness that people have of you and your work sets you up for the opportunities to be able to grow your audience, you know, get brand deals and do that type of stuff. So that, I mean, that's an easy way that that everyone can help with that initiative. Um, you know, if people are streamers, um, we always have the ability to raise funds for different charities through our Streamlabs charity platform. And that's one of the core components also of the Creators for BIPOC initiative. We've got tons of BIPOC charities and charities that support BIPOC people, where if, you know, people are streaming and they want to stream for a good cause, that's always an opportunity to to raise funds and support those charities and that work. Those are two things that are right top of mind. I could probably get back to you with some additional things. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. No, please do. Please do. We want to hear it and we're here for it and we're here to support you. So thank you. Thank you so much for Um, sharing your story. It's going to help so many women and people of color in general. Um, I feel it's just so important for us to share our stories. And thank you for being vulnerable and sharing yours. I I really appreciate it. Thank you. Where can we find you on, you know, online? Where would you like be comfortable with sharing at least um, if someone was like interested in getting in touch with you? Yeah, LinkedIn is always a a good um, option for getting in touch. I'm Aaron Chin. Aaron hyphen or, or dash chin, E-R-I-N dash C-H-I-N. 
We'll include in the show notes too. Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. To connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech around the world, remember to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on socials at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Say hello to me on the socials at Felice Lazay on all of those socials that I just said. I will see you in the next episode. Have an amazing day. And remember to always love yourself. Bye. Hi, this is Erin Chin global head of brand marketing at Logitech G, a division of Logitech focused on serving gamers and creators. Logitech is all about designing new possibilities to extend human capability, focusing on helping all people pursue their passions in order to create, achieve, and enjoy more. I'm based in New York, and you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.